0: Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. So you like to buy real estate, do you? What happens when you go across a border to another state or another country? There are new legal considerations and those are what we're gonna talk about today on the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms.
1: Are you struggling to keep up with your mortgage payments? Whether it's your home, vacation, or investment property, there are loan workout options available. To help you sort through all the noise in the marketplace, The Real Estate Guys has written a free 18-page report called What You Must Know Before Attempting a Loan Workout. In this special report, you'll discover the single most important thing the lender looks for before agreeing to modify your loan. Plus, you'll be able to weigh the pros and cons of hiring a professional versus doing it yourself, and much, much more. All you need to do to get your copy is email your request to workout at realestateguysradio.com. It's free, it's confidential, and it's yours when you send your request to workout at realestateguysradio.com. Hope is not a strategy. Start your own economic bailout plan today. Get the Real Estate Guys free report, What You Must Know Before Attempting a Loan Workout. Email your request to workout at realestateguysradio.com.
0: Banks are taking back lots of property these days, and they want to get rid of them fast. To do that, they sell them cheap. That's the good news. But they can't afford to sell you one at a time. That's the bad news. Now, here's the great news. You can get plugged into a steady source of affordable fixer-uppers to feed your real estate investing business without having to buy them by the dozen. Get a copy of the free report, Buying Value Profiting from Distressed REO Properties. Send an email to wholesale at realestateguysradio.com or call our resource hotline at 888 888- 510 6838 extension 105. Get plugged into bargain properties all over the US. Call 888-510-6838 extension 105 or email wholesale at realestateguysradio.com. Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. We talk real estate every week and we've got a topic you're going to need to know about. Let's meet our co-host financial strategist, Russell Gray. Hey, Robert. How are you? Good. Well, you know, one of the things as real estate investors is we always have to be aware of the legality involved with real estate, and that covers a whole bunch of stuff. You've probably been involved with a transaction where somebody says, now, you know, you're signing a contract, make sure you take it to a lawyer to read. Maybe you're listing a house, maybe you're putting an offer in a property, but there are so many steps in between. Now, you've been a practical guy, you've been around real estate a, a lot of time. I know I sold you know residential real estate for years and years. When we would fill, say, a listing contract and recommend that they take it to their attorney, or in your case, you're on the lending side and somebody filled out an application for a loan and you said, make sure you have your attorney uh, review this. How often do you think people actually did that? Never. Never. Exactly. (laughs) People don't, especially when you're using like a standard form, Right. right? The standard form that the board of realtors uses, and it's just the agents filling in the blanks and you're initialing the bottoms of the pages and signing and putting a check to escrow. You don't even think about it, but should you? Yes, absolutely. I mean, we've uh, had uh, some folks from the real
2: realtor association on, on the show And talk about the standards of practice around the world in in the United States. And of course, the United States has a very high standard of practice, and it's something that's been refined over years of conducting business. And so back in the old days, you know, Bob would talk about how they would carry around a document that had four or five lines on it and a big book of uh, phrases, and they would fill that out. And they would really have to have some knowledge of legal concepts and so on. And as you might expect, a lot of mistakes got made, a lot of lawsuits ensued, because the professional has always been held. to a higher standard, uh, it really behooved them to create almost bulletproof type of contracts. And so that's what's happened. So we have all these standard forms out there with clause after clause after clause that has been gone over with a fine tooth comb by a team of attorneys and has lots of court precedent behind it. And that's great when you're doing cookie cutter in the box standard everyday real estate. When you try to do anything uh, that is outside the box, when you try to do anything that is remotely creative. All of the sudden, you've entered into a whole new area, a whole new territory. And right now, with the Internet and people's access to information and the world getting so much smaller, people are out there. They're exploring. They're looking for yields. They're looking for better opportunities. They're trying to put their money to work in better ways. And they find themselves investing Outside of the state that they live in In a community that they're familiar with doing business in And in some cases, in fact a lot of cases now Actually going outside the country they live in And the standards of practice vary from county to county Even within a state And then from state to state And of course from country to country
0: Yeah, it's true And and you need to be aware at least of What the ramifications are of something that you sign And that's why we recommend and we, we mean it Have your attorney check this out Doesn't mean you need to have them spend Two or three days on it But an attorney can review a standard purchase contract or listing contract pretty quickly and and give you the bullet points. Hey, here's what I'm concerned about. Here's where you might want to watch out or hey, I don't see there's too much wrong here. The more out of the box you get with your investing or the more unique attributes you have to a particular investment, the, the more it's absolutely necessary that you get an attorney involved. And it's one level of practice to have an attorney involved who's licensed in the state that you live and buy all your property in but it changes dramatically when you cross borders and that's what we're going to talk about today and of course neither you or I are an attorney nope so it is time to introduce you to one. The gentleman you're about to meet is a practicing attorney. He works in one state. It is licensed in one state, but that doesn't mean he's not helpful in other places. He is. Please welcome back to the Real Estate Guys program, attorney Mauricio Raul. Hi, Robert. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing excellent. Thank you. Hey, thanks for uh, taking time to be on the program. We've had you as a part of our live events and uh, you are always at our uh, international uh, summit at sea where you've had a chance to be on the, the show, but uh, I don't think we've had you in the studio very often and we appreciate your time today. It's a pleasure and thank you for having me you bet now uh, you heard uh, our our introduction and you've been in the situation where someone's brought you a relatively simple document to look over Uh, if that happens you have a client they maybe they want to buy a house something simple and their realtor helps them out and they say hey Mauricio would you take a look at this how much time does it take you and what are you looking for in that document
3: it doesn't take that much time and and it, and it really does boggle my mind sometimes where people elect not to take their documents for an attorney to review i mean they spend thousands of dollars in many occasions paying for you know inspections and reports and you know, origination fees and all those things and yet they don't want to spend an extra $1000 an extra $1500 which is probably all it's going to take if that for an attorney to review the, the contract or whatever document they're referring to, and it's such an ounce of prevention, and it's worth it to spend that $1,500 and not have to go through the headaches that, uh, that occur on, on the back end if it's not done properly.
0: Well, and there's two parts of it. One is you do want to understand the legal ramifications of what you're signing, but the second part is it's kind of a different standard if I can say any time during the transaction or afterwards, yes, I was under review of counsel.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, it, you know, you also you're buying yourself some protection there in terms of, you know, taking it to an attorney who's got the proper, you know, errors and in emissions insurance. And if something t- turns out that, that, that wasn't proper and the attorney missed it, you've got some protection, additional layers of protection there. So it, it is really critical, in my opinion, to have an attorney reviewed. And again, it doesn't have to be something that we spend two or three days on it, probably, you know, a couple of hours reviewing it is sufficient and, and, and you get your money's worth.
0: And I would think that in an area where you've got a standard form or a form that a lot of the agent practitioners are using, your attorney, who's a real estate attorney, is going to have seen that form a few times. So you're not seeing it necessarily cold. And and probably once you develop that kind of a practice, you can buzz through those things pretty quickly.
3: You can. And and, and the one thing you've got to really understand is that the contracts, w- essentially what the contract is there to do is to document the meeting of the minds. I mean, you have an understanding with the the other party, and you're trying to to reduce that into writing. And so you can't always rely on a standard form because the standard form doesn't know what you guys have agreed upon. And so you're trying to incorporate, and it's part of the attorney's job, to extract the information from their clients to make sure that everything that's in their minds is reflected on the document and that's what a good document will do it will reflect as close as possible the meeting of the minds.
0: So what would be the things that you'd be looking for if I say bring you a listing agreement or a purchase agreement and I want you to review it before I submit it or, or sign it. What are the things, the, the the major categories of things you're looking for? Yeah,
3: see, yeah there's not, not necessarily anything specific that I'd be looking for. What I'm really, like I mentioned, paying attention is the first thing I will do is spend some time with the person who's bringing it to me and trying to understand what it is they're Trying to accomplish, and then trying to mesh the standard contract that they brought to me, trying to reflect what you know, the, what what the client is looking for. So, and, and that's going to depend on on a case by case basis, uh, depending on the deal, depending on how creative the deal is, or if it's just your standard contract.
0: And so, if somebody gets to the point where there maybe is a little more creativity involved, say they're bringing in a partner, we've talked on the show about the fact that you might have great credit but no cash, and you might have a potential partner that's got a lot of cash and not so great credit. You get together to purchase a property. Now, in addition to the purchase contract that's signed in some capacity by either individuals or, or in their capacity as uh, members of an LLC or owners of, a, a, say, a corporation, now you've also got to have an agreement between these parties.
3: Yeah, you want to have something like a like a buy-sell agreement where, where really my job at that point is to, is to really educate the client and make them think of things that they are really not thinking about in terms of worst case scenario. Nobody likes to think about worst case scenario, everybody's excited about doing a deal on the front end but it's really an attorney's job to, to look after those things and say, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? What's going to happen if, if one of you decides to, to move on to something else? What happens if somebody dies? What happens if this? What happens to something else? So that's, that's what my job would entail. All
0: right. So, you know, so many of the uh, folks that are listening have probably been in contract on a piece of property. And as you say, everyone's looking for uh, the positives that are going to happen. But remember that part of what your attorney does, and the reason they often get reputations as being deal killers, is they're looking for the bad things that could happen. They're looking for the what ifs that you might not think of. Yeah, you're getting into this joint venture and everything's going to be rosy and it's all going to be wonderful, but at the end of the day, things do go wrong, things do go sideways, and aren't you really asking your attorney to to point out those exposures?
3: Yeah, that's my, my job as an attorney is to point out what the potential landmines are and what the exposures are and what the risks are. The the ultimate decision is is on the client. And what I'm trying to do is just give as much information and as much Um, ammunition to the client for them to make an informed decision on whether this is a good deal or not. What I try and avoid doing is is trying to put my own personal thoughts on the deal because ultimately I'm just trying to make sure that they understand what the risks are involved and ultimately they they can make the most informed
0: decision. Boy, this is such an important point. You want to hire a great attorney to give you legal advice not necessarily business advice. And most attorneys understand that role, as you obviously do, because you just explained that to us. But there are attorneys, and we've seen this happen uh, in our real estate investing career, who morph over to now trying to take this uh, under advisement and say, well, no, have you, you know, this deal and, and and they're getting more into the business aspect of it and that's not what you're really looking for in most cases. You don't want someone to say, yes, it's fine or no, it's not. You just want them to make you aware of where the potential pitfalls are going to be. So let's now transfer over to this idea of cross-border real estate and we'll start with something as, as simple as I, I'm in one county. And I want to buy a property in another county. If you look at uh, across the beautiful uh, United States and even other countries where you've got uh, different jurisdictions, cities or counties, sometimes the law and the practice is different. Simple example. In some counties, uh, the convention is that, say, the seller pays for the attorney or escrow fees of closing the deal. In other counties, it's the buyer. In other counties, it's split 50-50. So when you are are going across a county or city border, what are the things you're, you're looking out for?
3: Well specifically it's just making sure that you're aware of what the specific the, the individual ordinances are or individual uh, regulations of that particular county is because even though uh, most of them are, are pretty similar there are little nuances that you need to understand and if you're you know if you're practicing within the state that's something that's relatively easy to do. It gets a little bit trickier when you're going tr- across borders and into different states and at that, that point you really you should start looking at uh, you know retaining local council either outright or or as a consultant to to assist
0: you in those differences. Okay, that is a great point. Now I find a great opportunity, and it's one state away. All right, well, it's just one state away, and I can drive right across there. And in the United States, at least, I don't have to show ID to get across the uh, border from one state to the next. And, hey, the neighborhoods look the same, and the builders are the same, and they have all the same stores. So it's really just the same kind of thing. But legally, it's not. Legally,
3: it's a completely different jurisdiction, and they have their own laws, their own statutes. And then they have their own court systems that interpret those statutes, and so it's critical that you either retain somebody in that local state, or, like I mentioned before, have your local attorney uh, communicate with somebody from out of state to get get the proper guidance. And and any and any good attorney will will recognize that they're not licensed to practice in the other state, and they won't be giving you any advice based on you know, let's say you're, you're you're in California and you're trying to purchase something in Nevada, you're, you're not going to be giving out uh, legal advice on Nevada law without at least first consulting local counsel there the benefit of your clients.
0: Well, and this really is exactly what you do in your practice. I know that you are a California licensed uh, attorney, but you represent people who buy properties not only in uh, the United States, but in other countries, and we'll we'll certainly get to international aspect before we're done today. But there are things that you can do. You don't just say, well, hey, you're buying in Nevada. I'm not a Nevada attorney. You know, good luck with that. There are things that you can do and then maybe bring in counsel on your side or or at least guide the client on on what they need to find in in terms of an attorney on the other side.
3: Yeah, most of the time, I mean, the the laws are similar enough where you can do a majority of the work yourself even before you bring in uh, you know another attorney but at the end of the day before you f- you finalize a contract or finalize a recommendation you you definitely want to be consulting with your your uh, outside counsel and, and I do that I mean I've got attorneys uh, that I work with all over the country in different states and anytime uh, something comes up in, in a different state, I will call that contact and, and just make sure that you know I'm, I understand the local laws and have them review whatever it is that I'm doing to make sure that it's
0: correct. Our guest today is Attorney Mariso Raul. We're talking about legal considerations when you invest, and especially when you invest across borders. More when we come back. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys Radio Network. I'm your host, Robert Helms.
1: Live nationwide, you're listening to the Real Estate Guys. Find out more at realestateguysradio.com.
2: Feeling outgunned when dueling through loan mod negotiations with your lender? Discover the underwater borrower's secret weapon and how you can make your loan modification your lender's idea. Get the special report by consumer advocate Martin Andelman. Send your request to analyze this at realestateguysradio.com. Don't go into your loan mod battle unarmed. Get the free report. Send your email to analyze this at realestateguysradio.com or visit the special reports page under resources at realestateguysradio.com.
1: Hello, this is Robert Kiyosaki. I'm the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And if you're serious about learning how to invest in real estate, listen to The Real Estate Guys. They really know what they're talking about.
0: And welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program heard every weekend on this fine radio station and all the time at realestateguysradio.com. If you miss a show, heaven forbid, you can go right to our site and check it out. Listen to it again. Or if you get a show like this one you like a lot, you can hear it more than once, and we don't even charge you for the second show. Our guest today is attorney Mauricio Raul. He is licensed to practice in California, but his practice is interesting. He actually uh, helps clients uh, with a variety of uh, real estate-related uh, transactions across not only different state borders, but uh, different countries. Uh, you know, Mauricio, we're not going to spend a lot of time today on asset protection, but obviously one of the great tools we have uh, is the ability to not take title to a property in our own name, but in the name of an entity, it could be a corporation, partnership, limited liability company, all with different pros and cons. But as a California attorney, how often is it that you uh, find yourself, say, forming an LLC in another state?
3: Most of the time, I try and set something up in a different state uh, if it does not involve directly a piece of property here in California. Uh, The asset protection laws in California are notoriously very weak And so to the extent that I can go somewhere else uh, like uh, Nevada or Wyoming or Delaware or or, or something like that, if I can get away with doing that, then I'd much rather do it in those states than in California.
0: But no problem legally for you as a California attorney to form a Wyoming entity? Not at all. Okay. And uh, there's reasons for doing that. Now let's transition a a little bit to someone who, say, lives in one state— and they are buying a property in another state from a seller who lives in a third state. Any other wrinkles, anything we need to be aware of uh, when we're approaching this from the legal standpoint?
3: Most of the time, to- well, it depends on what you're looking at. I mean, if you're looking at the specific contract, then most most of the time, or most likely you're
0: going to be looking at the jurisdiction where the property is located. Well, let me stop you there for a minute, because every contract, it seems, has at the very top or near the top the location. where You write a, a city and a state typically, and that is establishing jurisdiction, isn't it? It is. And and you can't just make a
3: jurisdiction up. You can't just uh, be transacting business on the East Coast and suddenly you want to put Nevada as your jurisdiction. There's got to be some kind of correlation. And typically the correlation is either the property that you're dealing with is located in that particular state or possibly if the contract is entered into in in, in a particular state, you can use that as jurisdiction. But there is some correlation between Uh, what
0: you select in, in, in reality. Okay, so there are different types of attorneys that can do different business. I guess we probably should have started by saying you don't just go to your typical family law attorney to drop a real estate document. You really do have attorneys that specialize in a particular area of real estate.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Just like, uh, you know, if you go see your doctor, they're all specializing in in different things and you may go to your general practitioner and and, and if there's something going on specific to your heart to go see a cardiologist. Well, the same thing happens in law. You've got certain individuals who are sort of general practitioners who know a little bit about everything. But if you're really getting into now a more specific dairy of law, then you go see a, an attorney that specializes in real estate or specializes in setting up entities or, or, or asset protection or, or, or what have you.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting that there are attorneys even within the various realms that specialize in certain aspects. Uh, in our uh, business, we have retained uh, different uh, counsel from the same state. They all work, all, all real estate attorneys, but say, you know, one firm is primarily interested in transactional law and another firm is uh, mostly looking at at uh, the legality of licensing. There are you know, Department of Real Estate-based attorneys who work on that angle of uh, the business. So you need to know that you have the right attorney for the right job.
3: Yeah, and, when you, and specifically to real estate, when you get to larger deals or even commercial deals, then you're dealing with attorneys who specialize in finance. I mean, that's all they do. They do real estate finance. That's that's their bread and butter, and and that's going to be a different attorney than somebody who's putting together just the regular contract for, for purchase and sale.
0: Okay, great. So let's talk about uh, now taking the next step, which uh, in my mind is buying a property in another country. So we are now just not in another state in the United States or, or another state, uh, say two states in Germany. Now we're talking about you're Going to have a client who uh, lives in New York and they want to buy a property in Cancun, Mexico. Now, what are the additional considerations?
3: Well, now for sure you want to make sure that you've got really good and competent counsel down in that specific country. Now it's it's a different level of of different laws, and sometimes there even different types of law they practice. Either you know we're under the common law way of practicing law, another country may be under this uh, civil code or or just a completely different uh, type of law. So it's critical for you to be working with somebody who's uh, local to the area before you even consider investing offshore.
0: Well, I know, for instance, you've done some work in Mexico and uh, there are attorneys who are licensed there, but there's also attorneys licensed in the United States that make it their practice to deal with clients who buy and sell in Mexico. And then you've got the fact that the very basis of law in those two countries is different. The understanding upon which the laws of the country are built are are different systems.
3: They are a completely different system. And then there's a third type of attorney I I think that you you haven't mentioned, which is the attorney who's who went to law school here in, um, in the United States, who maybe even practiced a little bit in the United States, but then at some point decided to move down to that country. So you can be, for example, we're working with uh, an attorney down in Mexico who is an American. He's an American citizen who you know, decided to move down to Mexico. So it's a very convenient way because he obviously speaks English. He understands where we're coming from. Uh, but obviously he's licensed to practice down in Mexico, and it just makes a, a very smooth uh, transition, and, and, and it's just a lot easier to understand Uh, The laws down there when you're dealing with somebody like that as opposed to somebody who is a Mexican national who you know who who knows if their English is that good or not or or certainly may not understand what the legal system in the US is and, and, and makes things a little bit harder.
0: Well, Mexico is an interesting example because if you sign a purchase contract in Mexico, guess what? It's going to be in Spanish. Now, it's common practice in, in most Mexican jurisdictions that the contract will have two columns. There'll be a Spanish column and a translation into English. But my understanding is, and, and you're the attorney on this, uh, that the contract language in Mexico is Spanish and that's the controlling language and the English translation is is just for the benefit of people that may need it.
3: Yep, if it comes down to some kind of dispute from the contract, actual standpoint, the Spanish version will uh, will govern. So you want to make sure not only that you're you know, that you understand what the contract is, but you probably want to make sure you're hiring somebody that uh, that you trust in, in their translating.
0: Yeah, I know I've appreciated the fact that uh, you speak a little Spanish, uh, and so you're able to communicate well with uh, attorneys there. But whatever country you're thinking about going into, if you do not speak the native language, you're going to want to have an attorney who does and can advise you of the difference. And, not, and they probably need someone who is bilingual in the language that you speak as well.
3: Yeah, and that's why I like going to attorneys who, who, who are from the U.S. because they obviously are great English and, you know, sometimes you know, their Spanish isn't that great, but, you know, you don't really care about that because you're, you're talking to them in English.
0: Now, it also varies from jurisdiction to jurisdiction where we're talking across the state or across the, the country, uh, kind of what the local customs and practices are. There is a strong organized real estate concept in the United States, meaning the vast majority of property gets brokered by realtors, members of the National Association of Realtors. That's not true everywhere, although there is organized real estate in a lot of countries. In some places, you may be dealing with someone who doesn't have a specific license for instance everyone listening to our program right now is licensed to sell real estate in mexico
3: yeah and, and, and they're licensed to, to sell real estate in a lot of different countries uh so that's you know that's just another reason that you want to be extra careful and, and not just head down there and do it all yourself and make sure you're you're consulting with
0: somebody local yeah, and because the customs change so much, like uh, not to dwell on Mexico, but I know one of the practices there is they have the notario, which is the public notary, which is a very different position than what a notary is in in the U.S. They're they're almost a judge status, and they're kind of an attorney that represents the transaction and not the parties. Right. And and
3: they get paid accordingly. They're not just a notary that you pay your $10 for them to verify your signature. They're actually drafting the documents and they're ultimately executing the formal documents. And if one thing you'll realize when you go offshore, you know, it's a lot more formal than it is in the United States. You know, here you can get away with, uh, you know, fax signatures or email signatures Uh, down in Mexico for sure and certainly in, in most other places in the world. Uh, you better have a wet signature and it better be notarized and it better be apostilled and stamped by you know seven different jurisdictions before it becomes uh, legally valid.
0: Well, and then, of course, part of the whole issue in having an attorney look at your documents ahead of time and to counsel you on the legal ramifications of a purchase or an agreement you might enter into is that you're going to have them watching out for uh, what the hot buttons might be and what exposure you might have and what happens if this ends up in court. The U.S. is very litigious. In fact, the The vast majority of of lawsuits, my understanding, more than 90% of lawsuits on planet Earth emanate from the United States. It's not common practice, say in Mexico, to just sue somebody for your rights.
3: It's not at all. And it's very, you know, it's a very costly uh, procedure down there. We don't, most, most other countries don't, abide by what we have here, which is the contingency laws where the attorneys won't charge a plaintiff for costs or even attorney fees to bring a suit, and, and they only pay if, they, if they're successful. That doesn't exist in, in most of the other countries. And so if somebody wants to bring a lawsuit in Mexico or in the Caribbean or wherever else that you're investing, they're going to have to come up with the money themselves. And so typically they, they, they think long and hard before spending their hard-earned cash in bringing a suit, and they're much more likely to try and resolve it uh, Uh, amicably as opposed to uh, trying to go through the court system.
0: You know, if you are just listing your house for sale and you're using the standard form with a realtor that has a great reputation, it's probably a quick review by your attorney. But if you're flying off into some country that you don't know well and don't understand the basis of law and now you want to enter into a transaction, I think you're going to need an attorney that you understand who's on your side that kind of speaks your language literally and figuratively, and you're going to need a a local attorney that can really give you what you need to understand in terms of local customs and practices and how things work down there and what's the reality check and, and all those aspects as well.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think ideally you want to have your local attorney that you trust here in the United States be sort of your quarterback of your legal team. Where they will be in contact with the local attorney, and they can relay all the information to you, so that you feel comfortable that you know everything's being taken care of, and you you have been brought uh, to your attention, everything that needs to be brought to your attention.
0: Now, you kind of mentioned this idea before that it may be that you hire uh, another attorney in the jurisdiction, or it may be that you have someone that w- kind of functions as a, as a consultant. Can you explain the differences in that in terms of the way we hire a, an attorney? There's, uh, there's a couple ways of doing it. One, one way, if you're in the United States, uh, you you can do it where
3: you, you can retain a law firm, for example, and, and um, in one state, and, and even though you're doing a, a deal in another state, as far as you're concerned, you're dealing with the law firm, your local law firm, and you don't even really know who the local attorney is. You get an invoice from your law firm, and you don't know what's going on. Uh, the other way to do it is is for them to just simply make a referral to the attorney in the other state. So now you're dealing directly with that attorney. And maybe you have your local attorney sort of looking over your shoulder just to make sure every so often you know, everything's okay, although you're kind of getting, you're paying twice in that situation. When you're dealing with offshore, you're definitely having your local attorney, ideally, like I said, having your local attorney deal with the the offshore attorney directly because, uh, you know, you, you've probably never dealt with the offshore attorney and you want to make sure that you're, you've been taken care of and your rights are being
0: preserved. Well, And your attorney is going to be looking out uh, for your interests and they know the right questions. They have the secretly legal handshake and all that stuff right I mean even I've seen you work with attorneys in in different countries that barely speak the same language and yet you guys can communicate in a way that a layperson can't and you want to have that understanding I I don't know if it's if it happens at law school or if you're born that way but it's a it's a different skill set for sure
3: it is and it's uh, and and that's why I like the the system of really having your own local guides to go through because because of that exact reason
0: our guest today is attorney Mauricio Raul we're talking about the cross-border implications of investing in real estate lots of great reasons to consider going to other parts of the world to invest but you got to be careful and uh, even more so when it comes to the legal side more when we come back plus we're going to play real estate trivia we're the real estate guys i'm your host robert house
1: real estate investment advice right in your mailbox sign up for the free real estate guys newsletter at realestateguysradio.com
0: hey russ guess what
1: Uh, The real estate
0: market is hot again? Oh, Russ, the real estate market is always hot if you know where to look. No, it's something even better. Really? What is it? Well, thanks to our amazing listeners, we continue to be one of the most downloaded real estate shows on iTunes week after week.
2: That is great. So what are we going to do about it?
0: Well, I thought we should let our listeners know that there's more to the Real Estate Guys than just our weekly broadcast. Yeah, like our
2: website at realestateguysradio.com, where they can read our blog.
0: Great start. And if they're still hungry for more, there's our Backstage Pass, with members-only access to additional content, backstage interviews, and our monthly audio mentoring club.
2: Plus, Backstage Pass members get priority access and special discounts to our live events, field trips, and the annual investor summit.
0: So come backstage, go to realestateguysradio.com, and click on the Backstage, stage pass logo you'll be glad you did hi this is peter schiff and you are listening to the real estate guys and welcome back to the real estate guys radio program thanks for tuning in we're talking about all the legal ramifications involved with real estate when you complicate matters by going across borders whether that's another state another country Maybe even another planet. Before we get back to our interview with Marisa Rould, we're going to play real estate trivia. This is your chance to win a prize by knowing today's trivia question, which does have something to do with not only real estate but international real estate. So, in just a minute, I'll give you the trivia question. When you hear it and think you know the answer, send us the answer plus your name and mailing address to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Trivia at realestateguysradio.com. The first person with the right answer will win a prize, and then we'll take all the correct guesses for the week. And have a drawing for another prize because some of you listen on itunes or on our website and you don't listen live to the radio broadcast you still have a chance to win the prize you ask An autographed copy of Equity Happens, Building Lifelong Wealth with Real Estate. Our book on real estate investing can be yours if you know today's real estate trivia question. First of all, last week on the show, uh, we had Teresa Kinney from the Miami Association of Realtors as a guest. And in her honor, we asked a Miami question, which was, Greater Miami is the only metropolitan area in the U.S. whose borders encompass two national parks. Which are they? The answer is everglades national park where you can hike around or you can ride on glass bottom boats across biscayne national park here's our trivia question for this week which municipality which city which area in mexico boasts the highest population what city has the highest population in the entire country of mexico It's by a lot, by the way, so if you want to take a guess or if you think you know, send us an email to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. That is today's Real Estate Trivia Question. We're talking today about the ramifications legally of investing outside of your state, outside of your country. With us is Marisa Raul, and he's an attorney who specializes in helping people do these kinds of transactions, whether they're simple transactions like purchasing or big transactions like acquiring land, joint ventures, development. Mauricio, as you get more complicated in the types of transactions, I know you work in construction and development and those things, how much more complicated is the legal side of the real estate transaction?
3: Well, it gets a lot more complicated as you move further and further away from your home. Uh, When you start going offshore, for example, which is what we were last speaking, uh, you have so many other considerations to keep in mind. Uh, Primarily, you've got your tax issues and tax reporting issues, not only in the country that you're going to, but also your U.S. Uh, reporting uh, requirements. Uh, but also you've got decisions to make. You need to figure out uh, how you're going to take possession of your uh, property. And it's not only just like in the United States, you're not going to probably not going to take it in your own name, but it goes a little bit beyond just uh, holding it in LLCs and corporations. Now you start getting into the area of asset protection trusts uh, and other uh, international business uh, corporations. It just gets a little bit more complicated and unfortunately a little bit more expensive. Uh, from the from the fees perspective as well.
0: You know, there are states in the U.S. where you can form an entity for just a few hundred dollars. That is not true in most international destinations. It can be thousands of dollars just to start. And so you need to be strategic about it. Plus, you know, as you mentioned, uh, if you're familiar with the U.S. legal system, you know, there's just a few different entities that you typically use. As soon as you go across the border, there are some countries that have entities that have no parallel, no similar entity in your home country. They've come up with unique entities that do unique things and that can be great and there's reasons for that, but it means you're now approaching an area you probably don't know much about
3: yeah and i 'd love to even be able to name a few of them, but some of them i can 't even pronounce, so that 's how different they are from the u s
0: yeah there's uh, there's some funny entities out there uh, in different jurisdictions, a couple of which are only available in a certain country for a certain purpose and uh, boy if you're if you 're looking for that purpose there 's probably no better entity, but to understand that, you really have to have your arms around it now. there are attorneys who specialize in international taxation, international real estate. Generally, my experience is they're a lot more expensive as well.
3: Yeah, I think the uh, international tax attorney is about the most expensive, on average, the most expensive hourly rate that you will pay. I think it's, it's not uncommon to see those guys charge in the $600 an hour range for just an average guy. And obviously, if you get somebody who's prominent and, and, and really knows the stuff, it could go up to, up to, up to $1,000 an hour. So yes, it's a little bit more expensive than uh, the local attorney that you are going to have your local uh, contract reviewed by.
0: Well, and I know you're not a tax attorney, but let's talk just a little bit about the idea of taxation. One of the things you're going to want to find out is if the country that you live in, where you're a citizen, and the country that you're purchasing real estate in have a tax treaty. There are tax treaties between certain countries and there are other countries that don't have tax treaties. Now, there are pros and cons to there being a tax treaty. Can you discuss that? Tax treaties are an important thing to identify
3: because uh, you're going to, in some jurisdictions, you're going to end up paying property taxes or some type of other tax in that country. And so it's important for you to understand whether you're going to get some kind of a credit for that when you file your taxes here in the United States. Or whether you're going to have to pay a kind of a double taxation on that. And, you know, sometimes there is no tax in the jurisdiction that you're investing in. But that doesn't mean you're not going to pay a tax because you're always, if you're a U.S. citizen, you're always going to pay tax on your worldwide income. So you've got to, you know, you've got to tell your local IRS person that uh, you invested somewhere else and you made a profit and you've got to pay your taxes.
0: Yeah, and you really want to understand uh, before you invest what the tax ramifications are. A lot of places that uh, I know you're familiar with, Mauricio, or what we might call tax havens, and all that means is that there's a low tax basis in some regard. Some of the Caribbean countries, for instance, don't have capital gains tax. There's no—I mean, if you buy a property for a hundred thousand and you sell it for two hundred thousand, whether it's the next week or the next year or ten years, you don't pay any tax on the gain. In that country. But as you point out, if you're a U.S. citizen and in some other countries as well, it may definitely be taxable there. Now, if there is a tax that's due in a country that you pay in a country, sometimes you get a credit for that or an offset in your home country. That's what you need to understand when it comes to the tax treaty.
3: Yeah, and, and the taxes, it's obviously a very convoluted, and there's a reason these guys get paid the big bucks to, to advise you on the international tax. But one, just one cautious word of advice, there's just so many promoters out there that are trying to uh, use these tax provisions to sort of uh, convince you that you should be going offshore for a tax reason, and these are legal ways to either avoid or defer a tax. And most of the time, I'd say in the 90% or 95% of the time, those promoters are leaving most of the story out. They're not necessarily telling you lies. The, you know, There is true that there are countries out there where you do not pay a capital gains tax or there is no income tax or, or, or things like that. So it's not like they're not telling you the truth. But they are very misleading because they don't tell you the other side of the story, which is you will still have to pay a tax because, like I said, you are taxed on worldwide income. And uh, the same goes for other issues of, uh, you know, sort of asset protection, which I'm sure we'll get into uh, shortly.
0: Yeah, so let's talk about asset protection because, obviously, there's a lot of reasons why we put in that ounce of prevention, we do the work up front to make sure that we're protecting what we have and shielding assets, uh, liability producing assets from one another. There's an order of magnitude of complexity when you now take that uh, internationally. You don't want a problem that occurs on an international piece of property to bleed over to your assets in your home country uh, any more than you want it to work the other way around. You might be involved in say, you know, you accidentally hit somebody in your car. Let's hope that never happens. But if it does, there could be, you know, a liability created. And if you don't have proper asset protection, you could lose everything. So there are some pretty strong reasons for considering international entities and international jurisdictions when it comes to asset protection. What, what are those things?
3: There are. There are a lot of uh, uh, positive things about going offshore for asset protection. One of them, however, is not to go hide your assets. A lot of people get into major trouble trouble uh, with the law from either a tax perspective or even just from an asset protection perspective because they speak to these promoters who convince them that if they take all their assets offshore, they're going to be protected 100%. And that's not always the, the, the case. And so it's important for you to just be aware of, of, of the fact that even if your funds are transferred offshore, even though you may not be able to a creditor may not be able to go to a particular country and, and, and access your funds. There's nothing preventing judges here in the United States from making you uh, go down to that country and retrieve your money and bring it back to the United States so that you can pay your creditor. So it's important to just be careful. But having said that, there are certainly some advantages of going offshore, especially from an asset protection standpoint. And my favorite, really, especially in these days, is just the privacy. I mean, you, you're not going to be subject to uh, a lot of the um, privacy concerns that a lot of people have here in the United States. Uh, you're certainly going to be disclosing everything to your IRS agents and your government. But uh, it's going to be extremely difficult for plaintiffs' lawyers to find, especially at the beginning of cases or potential cases, to find your assets if they're offshore, because they're not going to show up on a regular bank search or asset search that you perform here in the United States. So, from that perspective, privacy is a is a pretty big deal.
0: Well, this is huge. I mean, what's going to happen if, say, that back to that situation, you know, you uh, you know hit some little old lady and in, in it wasn't in the crosswalk, and there's you know back and forth about what the legality might be, and. Uh, all of that. But at the end of the day, the plaintiff's attorney is going to search and see if you have anything worth going after. And the first line of defense is to not have it show up easily.
3: Yeah, because, you know, no matter how strong a plaintiff's uh, case is, it's going to be hard for a plaintiff's attorney to take a case. And remember, they're going to most likely take it on a contingency basis. Again, they're not going to get paid until they collect. And if that plaintiff's lawyer, even though he or she may be convinced that you have a slam dunk case, they're not going to spend the next two or three years of their life getting a judgment for you if they're not sure or relatively certain that they're going to be able to collect on the back end and get their fees paid. And so if they do their asset search, which is the first thing they're going to do, and you don't show particularly strong, I don't care if they think they can get a $5 million judgment if you don't have $5 million, that judgment isn't really worth that.
0: Excellent point. Now, you know, just to piggyback on that, if your plan is to, say, live in the U.S., buy property in the U.S., only own property in the U.S., it's not going to make a lot of sense for you to go start opening up international business corporations and other entities in other countries. That's a recipe for disaster. You're not shielding anything if you do it that way. However, there are some legitimate tools that you can use if you're interested in real estate in other places. I know one of the things that you've taught us is just some of this cross-entity, and it starts to get confusing now, but there are different jurisdictions that have different types of entities for different reasons. It's quite possible to buy a property in one country using an entity that's domiciled in another country, and there's some reasons for doing that.
3: Yeah. I mean, you've got to look at the what I like to call the totality of circumstances. Just because you're buying a piece of property in one country doesn't mean you're going to relegate yourself to entities or structures in that one country. And in fact, there's a lot of the most advantageous structures. You're actually prohibited from uh, doing business in that particular country. So if you are in uh you know country A and you use their their entity structure you can only use that entity structure in a, in, a, in a foreign jurisdiction so you're almost forced to go to another jurisdiction in order to to buy your property in in that country
0: and those countries are often the no tax countries meaning in the country where the entity is based you do not pay tax at all on any transaction. However, if you were to do business locally in that country, there may be taxes. So this is way more than we could get into uh, on the radio, obviously, but hopefully at least whets your appetite. And if you're thinking about investing outside of the U.S., uh, you're going to have a little more homework to do. You're going to have a few more lawyers to retain. But at the end of the day, there's some reasons uh, to consider that. Now, uh, Mauricio is a busy guy. He's hard to reach, but I'll tell you, I know one week where he's sitting around, waiting for your questions, waiting to meet you, and that is on our annual investor summit at sea coming up in April of 2011. You're going to sail with us once again as you have for many many years, and not only will you uh, give, of course, a couple of talks there uh, to talk about these things, but you're available for conversations uh, offline or around the around the ship over a beer.
3: Absolutely, and the over a beer is probably one of the most fun things to do. So we have a great time on the cruise, and uh, it's both the great educational um, environment, but it's also a lot, it's just a lot of fun. I have a blast every year.
0: All right, so uh, get to the Real Estate Guys website at realestateguysradio.com and click on the button that says Summit and you can find out how you can join not only Mauricio but uh, the Real Estate Guys, uh, Rich Dad uh, Advisor, uh, Wayne Palmer, Ken McElroy, and a whole bunch of amazing faculty come with us. Mauricio, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks for having me. We'll be back with more from the Real Estate Guys. I'm your host, Robert Helms.
1: Need help with your real estate investment portfolio? Check out the resources page at realestateguysradio.com. Hey, Russ,
0: wake up. We've got a show to do.
2: Huh? Oh, sorry. I was just having the most awesome dream. I found low-cost rental properties that cash flow in a strong job market with prices that didn't fall through the floor during this great recession.
0: Wow, that is awesome. But, you know, you don't have to dream to find a market like that. We're going on a field trip there in just a few weeks. Really? Where are we going? To Dallas, Texas. It's a huge market with great infrastructure and lots of people. Prices are low and rents are strong. And with today's low interest rates, properties cash flow great. And did you know Dallas is projected in the top three of all job markets for 2010? Plus, Texas is the number one rated state for doing business.
2: That's amazing. When is it?
0: That's the best part. It's up to you. We have several dates scheduled, so you can go when it's convenient for your schedule. No matter which weekend you pick, there'll be tours of different submarkets and property types and meetings with local experts, including developers, agents, and property managers. That sounds great. Well, hurry up and register, because space on field trips is always limited. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on events or call 888-GUYS-RADIO for more information. That's realestateguysradio.com or 888-GUYS-RADIO.
3: Hi, this is Bob Helms. They call me the godfather of real estate, mostly because I've been investing longer than the average Joe, since 1957 to be
1: exact. Back when I started out, investing was pretty simple. Even so, I made more than my fair share of mistakes. And I can't imagine getting into this game today without some help. That's why I'm inviting you to check out the Real Estate Guys Investor Mentoring Club. There are three locations to choose from, Silicon Valley, Los Angeles, and Dallas, Texas. To find out when and where, just send an email to guys at realestateguysradio.com or use the feedback page on the website at realestateguysradio.com. Tell them The Godfather sent you.
0: Hi, I'm Steve Forbes. You're listening to the Real Estate Guys. Listen up. And welcome back to the Real Estate Guys radio program. If you've not yet signed up for our email newsletter, you can do that right on our website at realestateguysradio.com. And then whenever we feel like it, we'll send you information, but it's not every day or even every week. It's, uh, I don't know, every 8 to 10 weeks. uh, We send out an email newsletter, and that also enters you into a drawing to win. an Investors Summit at C, you and a friend, can come hang out with us and uh, Marisa Rauld. Great stuff today, don't you think, Russ? Absolutely. I you know, I
2: think having a uh, an understanding of basic entity structuring and having a basic understanding of law is really an important part of being a real estate investor. And so, you know, for Mauricio, he's a guy that is is pulling together a lot of different pieces and trying to put them all into a uh, package so that when you know we work with him because he's our attorney, and he he helps us he helps us just pull it all together because somebody has to be the quarterback of that legal team. You know, when you start going cross border, cross country, and are uh, trying to navigate all of that, you know, it's, it may sound you know as I was listening to the interview, it may sound very intimidating. It's like oh my gosh, this is so big, it's so much but there's so much money to be made. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: yeah, and you know, the thing about uh, attorneys is it is the ounce of prevention. You're investing money up front to hopefully either stay out of a deal that's going to cost you a lot of money or better yet get into a deal that's going to make you a lot of money. And uh, the other nice thing about it, it is a little bit of a luxury for sure to have a quarterback attorney, meaning you hire an attorney that then is going to retain other counsel on your behalf. But I tell you what, having an attorney be your interface with another law practice or attorney has huge benefits that you're not going to get that same level of service or or even understanding on your own yeah
2: and and, you know having somebody that you know that is really your guy especially when you're going out there and you're building relationships in foreign countries with people that you haven't done business before and they know they're dealing professional to professional and we call it the power of the group but the idea is hey this is another attorney who may bring me additional business not just these clients in this particular transaction and so Mauricio can position himself that way also and so that part of it is, is very advantageous to have. And the other thing is anytime, whether it's a tax professional or any form of a real estate uh, I mean, attorney, uh, whether it's a you know, specialty attorney, anything from taxation to uh, bankruptcy to asset protection to litigation, whatever, in the beginning, yeah, you're going to spend some money because you're learning and part of what they're going to be doing is educating you I've always been an advocate of going out and taking a class or reading a book and getting your mind around the particular topic before you go meet with the attorney and then get the academic the theory part kind of qualified into people who practice in the real world but once you've gone through a few deals your your learning curve your personal knowledge comes up and your dependency upon these other people goes down and now you're able to operate with them in a much more efficient basis but, you know, over the last few weeks, we've talked to several people. We had back in June, we had Mark Skousen of uh, the uh, you know, Freedom Fest coordinator, and he talked about from his vantage point dealing with a lot of people that are extremely concerned about the growth of government and the infringement on freedoms and the potential devaluation of the dollar. And You know, forget the politics part of it aside, the fact is there's a big group of people that are looking outside the country for a place to go if our country continues to go in a direction they disagree with. We had Teresa Kinney on here from the Miami Association of Realtors, and she has seen a market increase in people who are looking to invest from the United States into other countries. And so that's not political. That's just, hey, I'm a baby boomer. I'm looking for someplace that's affordable. I'm looking for someplace that's warm, and the United States isn't getting it done for me. I'm looking for someplace where the taxes are lower. So I'm interested maybe in Mexico or someplace in the Caribbean. So you have that group of people. You've got people out there that are looking, at it obviously like we are just purely from the investment point of view you know peter schiff is a money manager and he has been a big advocate of diversifying out of the united states stock market and taking advantage of what's going on in global markets if you look at what's happening in the world a lot of jobs and a lot of money and a lot of things are flowing out of the united states The united states is still a great economy very vibrant Great place to do business. But there's other countries that are also beginning to come into their own. And there's a lot of opportunity there on a real estate basis, not just on a stock
0: basis. There are countries whose real estate has appreciated 100% in the last three years the very same last three years that United States real estate has plummeted. Yeah, it's a squish factor, If you have limited your looking to just the property in your neighborhood or your state, there is an excellent chance that you're leaving a ton of money on the table. We're big advocates for at least considering international markets. Let's give you a a couple of resources. Coming up uh, at the end of October, October 30th and 31st, as part of the International uh, Real Estate Congress uh, put on by the Miami Association of Realtors, they've opened up a two-day session, open the public where they're going to have uh, developers and uh, practitioners and real estate professionals from lots of different countries. We're super excited about this event. We've been invited to speak at it. Uh, you can find out more. Uh, we had Therese Kinney uh, on the show last week. You can go back and hear that show or just go to their website at miamire.com and uh, look for that event. That's going to be a great place to learn something about international investing. Uh, the other thing is uh, come on to the Investor Summit. Our ninth annual Investor Summit leaves in April of 2011. We're going to visit three wonderful countries. Countries, yes, we one are. of which has a completely unique real estate ownership and citizenship program, economic citizenship program that is unbelievable. At least worth taking a look at with what's happening now in uh, in uh, the world. You ought at least to be interested in considering that. And uh, for many people, that's going to be the highlight of the event.
2: There's a lot of opportunities to learn, and you know, I I, I like the Miami event because it gives you an opportunity to uh, go to a beautiful place, Miami. And have a great time, but also learn a lot. And it's both you got professional education going on there, and you've also got consumer education going on there. And of course, huge fans of the summit. So, again, uh, just really trying to encourage people to look at real estate a lot differently. There's a lot of people out there just running around wanting to flip foreclosed houses. You know, that is not a long term business plan, that's something you can do to make money now but down the road, I think that uh, looking at other options for long-term real estate investing, global investing is something worth taking a look at.
0: Now, as Mauricio said, you know, he's an attorney and he'll be the first one to say, be careful. There is so much garbage on the internet about international entities and, and taxation and privacy and all that. There's very little of what I've seen on the internet now that we've spent the last four years working in this area is true. There's a bunch of scary stuff out there. So be careful, choose wisely. But if you're willing to get Educated in this area, there are great rewards. Hey, big thanks to Mauricio for his time today. Uh, Thanks to our sponsors for making our show possible. Check them out on our website at realestateguysradio.com. Thanks to our engineering team and thanks to you, our listener. We'll see you next week on the Real Estate Guys Radio program. In the meantime, go make some equity happen, will you?
1: This is Wayne Palmer. I recently returned from the Summit at Sea for 2010 and learned what a great event that is with the Real Estate Guys.
0: I'm inviting you to join me and other Rich Dad Advisors next year in the West Indies to learn what's happening in today's market and how to profit from the chaos in real estate today. Be there.
2: If you're like me and thousands of others, you know that the Real Estate Guys radio show is a great source for quality content about investing in real estate. But did you know that they also have a book? I just finished reading their book, Equity Happens, and I was blown away by how much I learned. If you're ready to create sustainable wealth through real estate, you need to get Equity Happens. You'll learn, just as I did, about what it takes to prosper in the real estate industry. So don't wait. Make equity happen to you. Order your copy today at equityhappens.com.